0: All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have Molly in the studio. We're gonna be talking a little bit about her job as a CBT and kind of her growth pattern, so here we go. I mean, not like live, live, but I was going to say, I'm, right? That's not, scary yes. That's scary
1: I'm not prepared for that today. Like, hurt, just jump out of chest and be like, and we're done. So
0: uh, that is definitely on the horizon. So when we did the thing with Carlo yesterday and like I actually streamed it onto Facebook, I was like, oh my God, I figured out how to do live streaming and it looks good and it sounds good and everything worked. And so I believe that the plan is at the very least to start running these live in about a month. So um, uh, one of the MSU students that's gonna be here in May and I have her slotted to be my first live one. Hi, Carlo. (laughs) <laughs> Cause he's just on the floor interrupting sorry no you're good you're good uh, so yeah uh you know we're just sitting down and we just said hey it's wednesday and molly's here and she's got some time and
1: somewhat um, well rested
0: somewhat as well as you can be yes. right um so we wanted to just take some time and just shoot the shit basically. And, um, we were deliberating a topic for about 30 seconds before this. And, um, you know, as the podcast itself is kind of shifting, um, more towards, um, basically like a two way engagement rather than just a one way delivery of material. Um, one thing that I kind of think would be helpful is to start to understand kind of the way that we, um, utilize different people in different roles here at PAW. And you've been around for a very long time as a uh, technician, not the entire duration of PAW, but as we kind of talked about last time, pretty much since the beginning. Um, so really, like, let's just dive into it because I'm not a technician, so uh, you know if you were to explain to the layman like myself what your job is, especially being nighttime, uh, you know what? How do you how do you talk about what your job is to to random people, and then we can kind of uh, bump that up even further for those that are even potentially getting into the industry as well.
1: Easiest way to say my job is is um, I pretty much start my shifts at six o'clock at night, and mm-hmm. then. Basically, it's anywhere from monitoring anesthesia for surgical patients, sedated procedures, clipping and cleaning wounds, filling medications, drawing blood, running lab work, look, looking at cytology. Basically, anything that I can do in the clinic that I'm able to do within my degree, I can mm-hmm. do it here.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, do you have like a favorite part? What's like favorite thing to do? Anything like that?
1: So I do love running anesthesia, but mm-hmm. the kicker is it has to be like an extremely critical patient. Mm. Spay neuters, it's fine. I'll run them. It's yeah. kind of a walk in the park, but I do love it when it's like my brain just has to think on that one patient for like the next four hours. Mm-hmm. Perfectly fine. I love that aspect of it. Uh,
0: and that was the, kind of what we talked about last time too, with like you just being a little bit more attuned to like the emergency setting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, and, and luckily as when you work nights, there's plenty of opportunity. <laughs>
1: there is a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any uh, notable situations, cases, things that you've had to do lately that are that are stand out within your role that would, you know, maybe be of interest to people, a story that you would have? Anything like that?
1: Um, the one that stands out the most, it's not of recent, but it was one of um a patient I had with Carlo conveniently back at the old clinic. The dog came in and they already knew that it had a splenic mass that ruptured I believe it was about two to three days prior before even presenting to the clinic, they were traveling home to try to get it to our, um, to its regular Mm vet. And they stopped at our clinic. And then, um, basically the dog came in and it was Carlo, myself, and one of the old CVT that no longer work with the company. Our brains were just focused on this one patient for about the next four hours, trying Mm -hmm. to get it stabilized Mm -hmm. to get it into surgery. And then, um, basically before we went into surgery, I just remember us looking at each other cause it was, we weren't talking about anything else. We weren't interacting about anything else. The only thing that was being said were things regarding to that patient. Mm-hmm. Um, once when it was stable enough for us to take it into surgery, I just looked at him and I'm like, I need about 10 minutes just to kind of go unwind <laughs> and just take a moment for myself before going and stepping in to this surgical procedure on this patient that was somewhat stable before surgery as best as we could get it. Mm-hmm. Um, we conveniently got it into surgery, which we didn't even think was going to make it off the surgical table. Um, it did. And then the next seven hours of my life then in the clinic was dedicated to this one patient to make sure it made it through the night. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that's the most notable one because we actually didn't think that patient was yeah. was going to survive with the amount of blood that it lost. Yeah.
0: Do you think that you are better, like, what, I guess what's more interesting for you, like, being able to dial in on a single case like that for an extended period of time, or the flip side of that, of not necessarily being involved on a single, like one single case, but running the show, like from being essentially separated from actually like patient care, patient management, do you have a preferred way that you like, like the things that you have to do, right? Like which one's better for you? Or are they kind of the same, but just in different ways?
1: That's where it becomes a little challenging. Nice thing is on the overnights. Um, I kind of get that nice balance where it's like yeah. one, I'm a control freak. So I love running the show. Cause then I know always what's going on at every single aspect of a patient's care from when they start at the clinic to when they're discharged. Mm-hmm. But then I also love being one-on-one with a, a critical patient. Mm-hmm. Um, so Either nice way. thing about the, the nice thing about the overnight shifts for me. Yeah.
0: do you, Do you find that hard to balance? That like, what's I mean, because when you're, you know, for for those that aren't aware, you know, our we have kind of they're not lead CVTs, but we have our uh, uh, technicians directing triage, um, and so what that typically is is as we have cases come in, you're you're giving orders, you're taking direction from doctors and distributing out tasks, uh, delegating that mm-hmm. sort of stuff um but when you're on that night shift and you've got you know four of you uh, that are here uh of various roles there's you know overlap essentially how do you kind of balance that out uh, how does that kind of work for you
1: it's it's a lot of communicating whether i'm the one who's actually still running the show um delegating orders communicating triage um, or if I'm in a surgery, even if I'm not out there communicating triage, the staff that, I, that I'm that i working with that day, we all have a very well understanding of how important it is to actually communicate with me even if I'm not mm-hmm. standing up at the doctor's bar. There have been several times where it's been uh, Carissa and Tiffany and they've been on the floor and I've been in an OR and yeah. it's like, okay guys, where are you at with this one? Where are you at with this one? And they can tell me where they're at and where they're heading to next. So okay. having that level of communication is extremely important Mm-hmm. Um, especially if I can't be out there and be hands on because yeah. anesthetic patients critical yeah. or anything like that.
0: And and then the, in that scenario, most of the time, like you're the person that has to be in there. Yes. It can't be necessarily handed off to somebody else. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, if you were to, I, I guess, tell me a little bit more about nights because those get wild, right? Like, <laughs> they do, oh my God. <laughs> like like why why do you? I mean, I, I feel like a part of it is you you thrive in that setting more so than like what is it about that nights that pushes you that way is it the challenge is it the fact that it's I mean to be honest when there's less people it's not that rules are looser but you have to be a little bit more artistic in the way that they're applied right Um, versus when there's more people here that sort of stuff you can be a little bit more stringent on like following protocol ABC in that order what is it about nights that's that really kind of gets you going?
1: Um <laughs> I do always like to make the joke. I don't play well with others, it, which is why I enjoy it's my mostly I, a joke. I'm, <laughs> it's mostly a joke, <laughs> yes. Uh, which is why I like my overnight shifts. Um, but I pretty much start my shift at six o'clock at night and we start with our grand rounds, every single hospitalized mm-hmm. patient. We um overnight doctor that comes in I myself we then round with the doctor and the tr- technician communicating triage so they can head off the floor or hand cases over to us so it kind of starts there and then it's either we come into the bar and there's a couple patients or there's a shit ton of patients mm-hmm. and my doctor for the overnights is now making phone calls and it's trying to get everyone to be on the same page Just try to get as many patients out as possible. Because yeah. um, when we look at the clock, and it's and Trevor know this very, very well, at 8 o'clock, we lose somebody, and then at 10, and then at midnight, and then at 2 a.m., mm-hmm. and if we still have a bar lined with five or six patients, yeah. and then two surgeries on top of that, it's. we try to get them out as fast as we can. I do love overnights, because it's, yeah. it's a lot more hustle yeah. um, than... Yeah, well, yeah, Anything just else. by nature yes. of like, well,
0: number one, like as soon as four o'clock hits, right, like four or five, it starts to blow up every single day. It doesn't really matter.
1: Yep, always that rush at six o'clock at night too. Yeah.
0: Um. So is is that it though? Is it just the fact that it's like. You know, you just don't have time to stop and think. Is that kind of the it's, thing that gets you, or?
1: Yep, it's you don't have time to stop and think. Um, you just pretty much go and you you just watch everyone start communicating, and yeah. they just all start like everything falls in place. And it's you watch you come in and see this bar full of all of these patients, and the next thing you know. Yeah. You look and it's midnight, and it's like, oh, that went by really fast. Oh, hey, we only have two left. Like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> slightly easier night. <laughs> yep. One of the
0: one of the things that we talked about uh, on the last couple podcasts with uh, Caroline with the grit and, mm-hmm. and that was um, one of the one of the questions on the scale was. Um, Uh, that how much do you believe that you're a hard worker Uh, I would I guess for you I would have ranked you like pretty much maxed out (laughs) on that because I I don't know too many people that are more willing to put their nose down and just see a bar full of 15 patients to say all right we're gonna get to that that one that's all the way at the end (laughs) and we're just gonna get we're just gonna get there Mm -hmm. does that seem kind of right or like how do you kind of like what's your mindset when you see a bar full of patients like that?
1: let's get them out of here. Like, and I don't mean it, that I don't yeah. want to say that to me. It gets seemed like we're rushing through patient care. Yeah. It's just the aspect yeah. of we're starting to lose staff members throughout the night. And it's mm-hmm. that expectation of let's get these patients out of here. Cause Oh, Hey, I have a pyometra or um, an exploratory that needs to be done. And then a spay or a neuter that needs to be done. So it's that aspect of, Hey, we're going to work really, really hard for the next six hours and bust yeah. our butts. And then we may have time to bullshit around for about, 30 minutes or we're just going to keep going. Yeah.
0: Um, how have you seen that kind of like, have you, how do you feel like you've grown in that? Cause you've been on nights since the beginning of your career <laughs> yes. as a CBT. Um, was it what you expected at the beginning? Um, and then how has your, how is that, how have you shifted? I guess, what have you focused on? I know we talked about (laughs) communication before, but I guess that's more just in a general thing. What about in terms of like patient care, patient management, that sort of stuff?
1: So when I first started my overnight shifts here at the company, it was same kind of aspect. Yep. Get hit with the patients between, especially when we opened at six, like here's your rush. And then we would just get through them. And at midnight, you may have one or two patients. And then for the rest of the night, phones wouldn't ring. You wouldn't have patients walking in. You could just do your hospitalized stuff, um, focus on surgical instruments, do a surgery, clean a clinic, like very, I don't want to say easy, but just
0: mundane tasks. Yes.
1: Um, very straightforward. And then as soon as we became 24 hours, you kind of watched that caseload where it went from Mundane to oh now we're gonna have patients throughout the night and now we're gonna have to get a surgery in and now to where we're here it's like okay on the triage bar we take a piece of tape and we write it down in surgery and any patients that come in after that it's like yeah if you're stable you gotta wait we gotta get the surgery done so we actually before it was like eh we'll put them on the table at yeah at this time uh-huh. now it's like nope now you're everyone else is waiting this yeah. is hitting the table by three o'clock
0: yeah and that and that's just a part of triage management yep. right which um actually when we were uh i was talking to annie yesterday or the day before i don't remember exactly but we had we were just kind of discussing you know how we're handling this year right because it's <laughs> uh and from like january to today and the uh the triage system that we all live and breathe by, basically, is still less than a year old. Mm-hmm. Which I think, like to me, when I think about that, it feels like we've been wearing that pair of shoes forever because we still had triage before. Like everything has always it's been triage It's just now come. Based.
1: It's come out of Carlo's brain and onto onto hexagons, which right. we did use at the old clinic. But the only big difference is now it's more communicating and more things moving around. So yeah. I have to step away anyone else can come in and they can pick up a hexagon and they can take over where I'm at and be able to still move efficiently through all of the tasks or fulfillments everything that we need for our patients
0: so I guess my curiosity is in the fact that you have that right like we can not that we can exclusively operate off of the triage system running itself because it can't right like there has to be one person that is um this the 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 receiver of data and also this this the distributor of task but it also works pretty well if you're off and you've got five things lined mm-hmm. up it's like hey case 3 whatever that might be needs fulfillment just keep going on it just just dis- get them through discharge right yep. like we know that system developed a language so my curiosity is because i i don't think you know what the numbers are actually at in terms of like patients that we've seen compared to last year for like january through march how much busier do you think that we've been this year and how like because like we've handled it pretty well overall
1: there are some days where i'm like oh yeah we're we're a lot busier than we were than we were last year and then there are some days where it's like after covid kind of happened it's we got slammed so it's mm-hmm. like yeah we're a little bit slower depends on the yeah. depends on the day i always know once when, when snow starts falling yeah we tend to slow down a little bit. It ha- wasn't as bad as it was at the other <laughs> clinic. Like there's when it would just the brakes would just just t- turn. stop, and the yeah. phone doesn't ring, and no one comes in, nothing, and it's just like yeah, okay, I'm gonna go shovel the 15 <laughs> inches of snow we got now, and yep. spend the next two hours doing that.
0: So, um, from oop there we go, uh, from January through March, so first quarter of 2021, we were 60% busier than we were last year. Now, this was pre-move, right? Because we, we haven't full quite, it's been, it's been just six days less than a year that we've been in this building, but 60% in total patience, and it's not slowing down whatsoever. And if you were to tell that to any of us from like a peer numbers perspective, like it's a part of it, especially with how brutal last summer was, like to me, the, the, the reaction is, well, that's frightening. Because if we were, if we maintain that pace with how hard last summer was, how are we going to survive? And, but, but the interesting part, and I know a part of it is, is, you know, having Lauren and Christina and Rhiannon all basically, you know, they're a year deep now. They pretty much got their feet under them, that sort of stuff. We've got couple new uh technicians we've got students that are on their way here we're over 50 employees like there's definitely more hands but i think a bigger part of that like comfortability in seeing such a significant increase in caseload is just you just referred to it's communication Mm -hmm. um is there anything else that's kind of standing out to you in terms of like being able to just adjust ourselves to this massive influx of patients
1: (laughs) it's Basically just communicating.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, if the patients aren't going to slow down, it's gonna they're going to keep coming, and being able to communicate with somebody, um, whether you just have to keep talking. If you stop talking, everything in the clinic just kind of halts, and you can see it happening. Mm-hmm. Um, someone always, whether it's myself or Carissa um, or Tiffany, whatever MSS is working, that it's like, hey, I need to go do this surgery. I need you to keep things moving here. They have to make sure they're also able to keep all of the lines of communication open because if, if you stop, then everything stops and it gets very clunky. Mm-hmm.
0: Has, has that been pretty much what you've been focused on in terms of growth in the last year? or So Is just really getting those lines or lines of communication open. Has there any been been anything like technical that you've been working on to help increase that efficiency, that sort of stuff? Or has it pretty much all been working with the team?
1: It's been trying to get my communication to be a little bit more clear when it needs to be, like we said last time, coming off yep. very, very blunt, direct. Yeah. Um, and then also trying to get them to be able to be more hands-on and be able, instead of having to pull me away from a bar, to go do a blood draw, place an IV catheter, mm-hmm. or to do something that I don't need to do to be able to be like, hey, I need you to go do this yeah. so I can stay here. So it's trying to get them to develop more of technical skills mm-hmm. then. Yeah. So I don't have to do as much.
0: Are you, have you been teaching that sort of stuff as like maybe you know as the time allows that sort of stuff or how are you how are you helping um staff develop those skills
1: it's teaching them um the techniques that we all learn different ways everyone was taught different ways um when I was in school I was taught one way how to do a blood draw and then I came here I could never get a blood draw out of a jugular vein carlo taught me a different way works every time it's Mm -hmm. very easy very simple Mm -hmm. so it's trying to get them to figure out the technical skills that are involved with it but then also helping them try to figure out what works best for them whether it's the way um another technician taught them or it's the way i taught them just trying to help them develop that those skills so they can like yeah i can do this blood draw it's fine i got this don't worry about it yeah
0: and then what about like on the communication side like because I think a part of it, and we had talked about it last time, especially with working with like Hannah, who is very much not a uh, a very direct person nat- naturally, mm-hmm. um, but you know she, her, you can you can kind of see that she's just been more willing to say the stuff that's needed to be said as as necessary, and you know we've got other staff that. <clears throat> Basically, everybody that works here, besides you and Katie, um, doesn't have that level of decisiveness, especially in the way in which they, they communicate. Um, has that been another part of the way that you've been helping teach people in that communication and being able to work within triage, or has it been more focused on the what is happening and like being able to understand the fundamentals of the puzzle pieces within each case or maybe a little bit of both
1: it kind of goes it's hand in hand um trying to get them when they're coming back to tell me something about a patient a lot of the girls are i don't want to say long-winded but they do these long sentences and Mm -hmm. we're slammed and it's like they come up to me and it's like i look at them and i'm like this is going to be a long sentence it's like less words, fast (laughs) statements, like let's get to the point really quickly here. Um, And then trying at the same time, trying to get them to understand the medicine behind why we're doing things that we're doing. So they understand. So when they have their next case that comes in similar, they're like, ah, Mm -hmm. this is what's going on.
0: Do you do that? Uh, I guess why are, uh, I I mean, I can understand why they would be interested in understanding the medicine side of it, but what is your reasoning behind that? Like, why do you think that people want to know that stuff?
1: makes it easier to help inform and educate caregivers um if they understand why a patient has x y and z going on with them and then the caregiver asks them a question mm-hmm. um as long as it's a question they feel comfortable asking we don't also we don't have to pull a doctor back into yeah. a consult yeah. um and then they can go to their next patient like if we can answer a question and we don't have to pull that doctor out or make mm-hmm. them wait 20 minutes for them to get out of a consult it's fantastic
0: and what like what are those questions kind of amount to and and this is more or less like the role of a CEO. And mm-hmm. that's a part of, you know, why understanding the maximization of that role, like you're really referring to like what drug classes are and what they do and then being able to uh, deliver that knowledge to unlicensed staff. Right. Is that kind of what you're getting at?
1: Yep. It's between teaching them about like diabetes and. Um what each medication does what side effects come with those medications because when we are talking with caregivers it doesn't happen too often we do go over the list of side effects and you'll have that one that just they just nail you with that one question you're like uh, hold on let me go ask yeah. so trying to get them to be able to be like nope i know this answer i can answer this it's something i'm working with carissa with mm-hmm. um she had a caregiver ask um patient came in for a diarrhea doctor does a consult sends it home with metronidazole that's what they wanted and then they call back 15 minutes later like hey dog's still having diarrhea mm-hmm. and then it was carissa went to the doctor asked the doctor about it and it's like but you know this answer like mm-hmm. you can tell them the answer like you have to start the medications you have to give them 24 up to 72 hours depending on the patient it's like you know these answers like just answer them it's not out of your line right. for you to be able to say yep it's going to take a little bit of time.
0: I think a part of that too is like the comfortability line between case specific and then just like drug specific, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that's what you're getting at with that one is like metronidazole takes X amount of time to start to work, right? Um, you know, uh, probably uh, another example is like uh, injectable serenia like yeah the rule of thumb to my understanding as closer to a caregiver than anything else is if they get injectable serenia and they continue to vomit not a great situation not right a great situation. that would be <laughs> clinical medicine at its finest um but then i learned somewhere along the lines in the last two years that well if it's within the first hour there's still kind of that period, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of what you're getting at. But um, there's also the case-specific side. How do you feel like you handle the difference, or ha- maybe have have you grown in like baby, basically pushing that line in, like, I, I know more and more things, and when we get to the point of individually case-dependent, how has that process kind of gone? Does that kind of make sense, I guess, first? Because I'm having a hard time giving you the exact words, but... <laughs> I'm having a thought with my mouth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The brain just needs to get up. It's just
0: catching up slowly. But but like basically there's a tolerance level, right? For like, um, I now know that this question is not case dependent. And that is something that as you acquire more knowledge, that bar will move further and further and Mm -hmm. further along where do you how, is that something that you feel like you've grown in or that you're helping people grow in maybe where, where how much have you seen that kind of shift for yourself and others
1: Um, from when I started to where I am now like I hated knowing the drug names and the side effects that came yeah. with them and how long it takes medication to work and now it's trying to take that knowledge that I have in my brain and trying to put it into words as you said and give it to other people so then they can start learning like I saw this in this case and this one's similar with this one, but this one is ten times different for them to start acknowledging what how to link cases to cases and being able to educate caregivers from one aspect to the next or being like hey, this one isn't like this, what do you want me to do? To get yeah. them to become more comfortable in communicating their level of knowledge with caregivers as well.
0: So that was actually, um, that that process is um, actually a pretty good example of the star chart confidence-competence mm-hmm. dynamic, right? Because if you're, if you're underconfident, you're gonna move that bar really, really slow, no matter how competent you are. And if you're overcompetent or confident, but you're undercompetent, you're gonna move it way too fast. You're gonna give shitty advice, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, do you feel like we like? How, do you feel like you've balanced that well? Do you like? Do you maybe find that you're pushing people one way or the other, anything like that,
1: within those two variables? It's always asking, are you comfortable to go over this? Okay. Um, Cause they're really yeah. like, so-and-so has this question and it's like, are you comfortable going over this? Um, do you understand w- what I'm trying to say? Do you want me to it? um, to explain it to them and then you can listen. So it's trying to figure out their level of comfortability so mm-hmm. we can move that bar at a good pace instead yeah. of just being like, Hey, I'm going to throw you in the deep end. Good luck. swimmer! Yeah. like sink or swim. Um, trying to help find out where their confidence level is to help them succeed.
0: How do you feel like you, is there a, is that something that you find that you're relatively natural at and just being able to adapt to people's uh, confidence levels? Or is that something that you've had to learn over time?
1: I have definitely had to learn that. Yeah. Yep.
0: Were you more like the person that was like, there's the diving board?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Half the time it's it was go like, go figure it out. Other yeah. times it was, I'm just yeah. going to throw you in the deep end. Good luck. Yeah. Um, but now it comes down to I'll answer their questions if they come back with the same question multiple times. I turn and look at them and say, what do you think you yeah. should do? What right. do you think you're going to say? Because it's like, I know you know the answer. I've told it to you. Let's see if you can connect the dots and bring out that answer.
0: And that's actually um, if you if you caught the last podcast with uh, Caroline, mm-hmm. she had kind of brought up a similar response where that's a coach response. So when um, there's definitely a part of coaching where you have to kind of over predict the needs of somebody that's in the process of creation because um, as, a, as a mentor, that sort of stuff, you you've seen it, right? So you can you can accelerate the learning path, however, Um, There is a portion of it like they're just going to have to live life. And and as much as you want to make it faster, you're not going to make it a zero time frame. But that response of like, well, now that we've gone through this a couple times, you have to start to ask, well, what's missing? Like, tell me how I can help you because I've helped you in every way that I know how up to this Mm -hmm. point. Now you have to start to ask me specific questions. And being able to prompt people to do that rather than just like, have I mean, there's the, the other side of that would be a persecutor type reaction uh, or, a, or yeah, that would actually be the other side is um, saying, no, I've already answered this question for you. Now go figure it out. Like, I've already done as much as I can for you. There's the diving board. Bye. Good luck. Um, I, I guess, you know, with, with learning that is why? Like, why have you done that? I guess is my question. Why have you found that you've shifted more into that coach type role in those scenarios?
1: Uh, it was something actually Annie got me going on. Cause it was like, okay, like I've been here for how long I wanted to start getting more into helping train. Um, whether it's mentees coming in from NTC or other CBTs or other MSS. And it's like, what can I do to be better at helping them? Yeah. So it was something Annie told me. And she's like, instead of doing it this way, she's like, after a while, just look at them and be like, what do you think you should do? Mm-hmm. What do you think the answer is and see if we can pull it out of them that way? I still I use it on Hannah all of the time. Yeah. I, she hates it, but I do it. <laughs> but,
0: but like, does she actually hate it? I, I would say that like there are times where it can be frustrating, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're just you're just getting slammed, but there's so much value in that that high pressure learning, right? Like yep. Like, I'm super stressed out, but I now know that, like, this is my highest priority item regardless of the other 15 patients that are here, and if I can learn it now, that means I can apply it pretty much at any point within a high-pressure scenario, so there's a ton of value in that, but, like... I wouldn't say that she uh, she would be uh, frustrated or irritated by it. Um, it's just uh, it's it's a part of maintaining a growth mindset, yep. really. Uh, how do you, like is that something that you focus on with them and just being able to continuously improve that sort of stuff?
1: It depends on the staff member, newer staff members. It's trying to get them to have the general gist of how to how to do their job. Now, Hannah, Carissa. Caitlin, the staff members that have been here longer and now are getting to the point where we can start going more in depth. It's like, okay, Hannah, you know, it's like you asked this one question, like tell me the answer. And then it's like, and I'm just going to keep pulling and trying to get more and more answers out of you. Mm-hmm. So you start connecting the dots between this whole case. Yeah. And you can tell she gets frustrated about it. One, not because she doesn't want to learn, but because it's like she doesn't think she knows the answer, but she actually yeah. does. And part of like is trying to verbalize that to somebody else to Make it seem like they know what's going on.
0: Do you see when you do that an increase in confidence thereafter?
1: Yes. Is that
0: why you do it?
1: It's why I do it. Not just to pick on them and have have fun or torment them. It's because then they actually know what they're doing, and there is that increase in confidence level, and then they get more confident in their job, and then they're communicating with caregivers more confidently too.
0: Yeah, that's that to me has been one of the things uh, I I was talking to. Carlo a couple of weeks ago about that, like, you know, within the star chart, you've got confidence and competence and clarity mm-hmm. and consistency, right? Like those four C's, those are the variables of performance, the variables of potential. And the interesting part about that is when uh, that originally got put together, um, those were uh, there, there was kind of a dichotomy between them because within competence, there's some stuff that like a, uh, a coach or an administrator can do to help increase that. But mm-hmm. most of the time, like an individual has to take the time to become more competent. You have to seek and fulfill the education process, right? But within confidence, there are certain things that can be done that I think are a little bit more natural to the environment that you're around. Uh, within consistency and clarity. I cannot make you behave more consistently or act, do your job more consistently. Your hands are the hands that are performing the task. Yep. If you choose to do it differently every time, I can't control that except by basically exiting, right? But within uh, clarity, ton of opportunity from a coach or an administrator's role to increase clarity with the team. But uh, knowing methods to increase confidence is something that uh, is—I would say that that's one of the hardest things to do from an outsider uh, trying to help someone else get more confident. I'm terrible at it. Like I, I, the only thing, especially because I'm a super ridiculous extrovert, is like I just like telling people "good job," and that's like my—that's the whole (laughs) toolkit that I have. Uh, but for you, being able to fulfill, and actually Carlo's really good at it too, right, is um, you know being able to facilitate more of that coach or mentor role rather than the leader role uh, is something that I think is a, 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 maybe a better way, but definitely a different way of instilling confidence. Is that something that, like... Do you find that um, you've had to focus more on that rather than, like, uh, consistency? Like, between confidence and consistency, where do you think you've had to put more focus on with the people that, especially new staff, MSS, that aren't certified, that sort of stuff? Um, even with CSS and communicating, that sort of stuff, um, How, where have you f- had maybe had to put a little bit more of your focus? <sighs>
1: depends on it's honestly it depends on the staff yeah. member and how yeah. long they've been here yeah. if they're starting out new it's more important for them to be consistent about um, for example our how we how we talk to caregivers how we handle situations and then from there we can build and then go different directions so it yeah. depends on the staff member and how long they've been here
0: yeah um do you have a do you have a preference or one that you prefer to work on with other people
1: I prefer sometimes building their confidence because it's, it's one, it's, it's fun. Um, I love I'll I'll use Hannah as another example. Um, I'm going to pick on her today. Yes,
0: absolutely.
1: Um, so (laughs) in the middle of the night when we really don't have very much going on, Hannah, who's going to become eligible to become a CBT here in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that's going to be for her is becoming more confident in what she's doing and having that knowledge that she needs to take her vt So one of the things we love doing in the middle of the night is sitting down and pulling out books and we start drilling her on questions. And she always starts out thinking she doesn't know the answer. She's going to get them wrong. Um, and then by the time we finish, she, because she's gotten so many right – that she's more confident about it. And then we can go back and ask her and she's like, oh, I know this one. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also a good refresher for me because a lot of it I (laughs) I have forgotten about.
0: Well, that's, uh, we've talked about that with uh, the boards and all that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff with doctors too. It's like, you know, you're going to fill your brain full of stuff. And then over time, it's going to fall out. It's just the way that that happens. Um, but with working like on that level and, you know, you've, you have multiple roles here, at obviously you're one of our technicians and, uh, overnight technician, I think is a, is another worthy designation. Um, but also, you know, being a shelter engagement coordinator Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and having all of the responsibilities that go with that. But, um, within that sort of, you know, working with one-to-one type uh, engagements, that sort of stuff. Is that something that you find to be um, one of the more fulfilling parts of your job? Or I guess, like, what keeps you coming back is probably the the root of that question.
1: So when I first started, I really didn't like teaching people um, anything that was, like, I didn't like teaching people, one, because, as I joke, I don't play nice with others sometimes. Right, right. Um, and then when I started, my like, developing more of my technician skill set and it's like, okay, I want more now. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to teach myself how to be able to teach everyone. I come back because, one, I love taking care of the patients. Um, and then I love educating the caregivers as well and making sure all the patients get their care. But at the same time, I love teaching everybody now. Um, my brain lost its thought. That's okay. It's <laughs> that okay. happens a lot. It's okay.
0: That totally happens. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i just bringing up your assessment because I'm curious where you're at in terms of values oh. as I'm doing multiple things here. So super high DC. We already talked about that. Yep. That's what I wanted to see. There it is. Uh, so um, economic is your leading uh, of, um, of value, which uh, we share that, by the way. Uh, we are, uh, I that is also my highest. Actually, we're almost... Identical, your individualistic is a little bit higher than mine. Um, but one of the cool things about values is that um, when you share a value set with people, you start to speak the same language, or just naturally, because mm-hmm. you're coming from the same place, even if you're saying things in a different way or you're seeing different variables and discussing things differently. Like the purpose behind why you're talking about things is uh, typically uh, uh, close, right? Um, so for you and I sharing economic, like I know what you're getting at with working with confidence is, is because you've seen the greatest return out of those that you work with in order to get to the point of serve the patient. If you're able to go through that process, you didn't necessarily want to go there, but the, the, I think the, the thing that, uh, the calculation or uh, equation that amounted to that for you was how can I, get to the point where the patients that are here are served the best. Mm -hmm. Is it through me? Is it through other people? Is it through communication with caregivers? Whatever that variable is, how do we accelerate the path uh, to getting to serve the patient in the best way possible? And what you found is even though it wasn't your quote unquote ideal to work with people and trying to help increase their confidence and through um, engaging their competence. um, That's when one of the ways that you've found to actually make that happen better. So it's not necessarily because you're altruistic and you're just trying to help people. You're actually low on altruism. (laughs) I am also low on altruism. So if you have somebody that were to be here and uh, not necessarily, um, appreciate or engage that process they would get shut out pretty fast like you wouldn't necessarily engage the um, improvement of confidence conversation with them uh, very quickly or you would give up on it as they would have already um, whereas a highly altruistic person would continue to push and try to get them to go forward um, does that sound about right where that's really been kind of the direction
1: I'm happy I was able to keep up with that very long-winded sentence. But sorry, yes. I just love the high economic <laughs> motivator
0: because it's one of those things that um, I would say that a lot of people don't understand about themselves, and because we live in a uh, culturally just outside of our practice and outside of the veterinary world, um, you know, capitalism has kind of. Uh, Toiled with the concept of being economically motivated, and um, I, I I think there's so much value in it in looking at it from an ROI because I personally like don't get me wrong I like to pay my bills I like to have nice things that sort of stuff but I don't actually give a shit about that much money. Um, Carlo and I have shared that since day one where it's like money's a tool it's not an asset. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to Uh, Help people understand where that's coming from and why we engage people one way and we don't engage people that same way. It's like a lot of times it's about the return. How are you engaging? And that's why you and I, you know, especially when I started, would just just BS for hours in the morning (laughs) as I'm like trying to get the clinic ready. It's like, well, we're we're engaging each other and we're both improving, even though Molly's got no energy left anymore. (laughs) And I just woke up. Um, you know, I guess it was, in terms of the, the concept of return on investment in the where you're spending your time, mm-hmm. have you known that to be something that motivates you, um, and kind of how have you seen that develop over time?
1: So I have had a couple people that I was trying to help teach and learn, and you can tell when they're willing to learn something. Yeah. Uh, as you said, they engage in the conversation, they ask questions, um, and you've had those some people they used to work here I don't believe they're really here anymore you can tell right off the bat just by trying to teach them something new and they're like oh oh, okay yeah I really don't want to have a conversation about this where now it's like the staff that you have here if you have the time and you explain something they start asking more and more and more questions and then yeah works out better that way I love the aspect of teaching people I love it when they start asking questions it keeps me on my toes but I can tell those There are the people that work here or have worked here, I should say, that don't ask the questions and don't want to know anything additional. It's just like, okay.
0: Right. And that's that's your reaction to it. Because like other people, uh, they would say, oh, that person just doesn't know that they want to engage Mm -hmm. this. So I'm going to keep engaging them on it and they're going to keep basically having deaf ears to it until the point that they don't. Yep. Um, but but like you, you talk about, like, I love uh, teaching. That, that, that's the phrase that you use. So then my question is, why? Like, why do you like teaching? Because I'm going to work you down to understanding the <laughs> point that I just berated you with over five <laughs> minutes of talking. It's like, why do you like teaching?
1: It makes my job easier having more people that can do my job.
0: Okay, so why does it it matter that it makes your job easier?
1: I shouldn't say it makes my job easier. Is it selfish?
0: Because that's the statement that you just said, and I don't think that you're a very selfish selfish person.
1: It's not selfish. It's Mm -hmm. something that was um, basically when I worked at Arby's, the general manager that trained me, it came down to her being like, you have this huge list of stuff you have to get done in a day, and if you can take this list, and the more people that know how to do your job it actually makes your job easier because then you're more reliant on those people to help you out. It's something that for some reason she instilled into me that I just stick by like, Hey, if you know how to do my job, it's one less thing I have to worry about. It's one less thing I have to do. It's not a selfish thing, but it's also like, it's going to help me out and it's going to advance your career and skill set as well.
0: Um, so, uh, I, what I'm trying to get at is (laughs) Um, because I want you to watch your, your wording, because I think if you make a minor shift in the way that you say what you're talking about, it will help people understand when you press them mm-hmm. on, um, on learning what it is that you're trying to educate them on, is that um, it's not just because you want your job to be easier, like, it definitely does that. There's, uh, I, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things about, um, you know, one of the general rules in hiring people is you always want to hire somebody that's smarter than you uh, because they're going to pick up and they're going to be able to do as much. You, you actually becoming replaceable is an asset to most organizations. Um, and it also makes your life, in fact, easier because if you want to go on, like, on vacation, <laughs> you're not the one person that can do whatever it is that you do, right? Mm-hmm. See, but I, I don't think you actually care about easy. I think you like doing things the hard way sometimes, if yes. not a lot of the time. <laughs> so you you are, I would say that it makes your role as um, uh, CVT and, and uh, uh, triage, uh, or, or uh, technician communicating triage, and, and, and working through everything that's here, with especially with a limited number of people, it makes you more efficient. Yes. And why is being efficient important? <sighs>
1: Why is being efficient important? Yeah. It helps patients. Well, one, um, helps patients. Oh, my foot's stuck. <laughs>
0: Sorry. <laughs> the dang chair is getting in our way.
1: And, uh, uh, it helps patients get the care that they need instead of. Right. It's all about the patient. So it helps the patients get the care that they need. Instead of having one person that can do it, you have five other people that can do it.
0: And uh, in talking about uh, wanting to have patients get the care that they need, why is that? Why? <laughs> like, why does that matter? You know what I mean? And what I'm alluding to is you act in a very purposeful manner. Mm-hmm. And the more that, and, and, uh, this is what we were talking about too with the last one with, with Caroline, is the more that you can abstract the concept of serve the patient onto any one given task, protocol, process, whatever the easier it is to get people to um, engage with it more effectively because I'm not just performing a task because Molly wants her job to be easier. It's like, well, no, like the more that you do this, the better we as a group serve the patient, and that's why we're here. We're here to serve. So um, the more that you can – basically draw the line between where we're at and how that matters within Serve the Patient. That's actually probably been one of the things that I think we've struggled with, and and I'm from a distance, so I don't have an absolute on this. But I was talking to Katie about it when you guys did the last Humane Society training. It was like, how far away are we between what Humane Society protocol is and Serve the Patient? How quickly can people draw that line? Because like for you and Katie, it's it's a given. Like you just, it's just a part of the way that you think and you know, um, you know how to get there. Even if you can't communicate it, you just you see it. You're more engaged with it, that yep. sort of stuff. But those people, you know, especially somebody that's brand new, they're here week three, and they're just like, how many steps are in this process? And why what? Why does this matter? Why do I care about this? So the more that you can you can communicate that, I think the better that it is. Um, and then on the other side is, you know, what's in it for them too, right? And, and that's not necessarily your job, uh, but for Hannah is probably a good example, mm-hmm. right? So like, yes, on one side, her learning different things, um, you know, in terms of being able to help communicate with caregivers and understanding, you know, how to answer their questions, that sort of stuff, um, the more effective she is at serving the patient in the moment, but also, the more likely it is that there's going to be a return on investment for her later in life when she has to take the VTNE and doesn't fail miserably, right? Mm-hmm. So I would just say that if I were to give you a to do, it's to it's to um, I mean that's that's what Riolo does best is, is he abstracts purpose onto every single thing that we do. Um, so I knew I was going to get out of here with having to tell you to do something different today in a positive way. But does that kind of make sense? Like, tell, like I'm, I'm, I'm definitely long winded right now, but I'm definitely working through a thought and I'm close. Um, what are your thoughts on everything that I just threw at you? <laughs> give me something, Molly, give me something. We can do it. <laughs> I mean, Does it make sense?
1: It makes sense. It okay. makes sense. If you can keep up with that five-minute lecture you just got. like Tell,
0: Okay, then then recite it back to me. Like, what did I just say? Because to some people, I am super long-winded and probably really irritating, so I'm sorry for everyone that's listening to this <laughs> that is like that. But, like, give me the high-D version of what I just said.
1: It comes down to serving the patient is basically you have a patient that comes in that's sick. Um, caregivers bring that patient in, and they don't know why their dog's sick. They want their dog cat Bird, whatever the patient is, they want to know what's wrong with it, and they want it to be better. Whether it doesn't matter how we get there, we just need to get there. Okay, um, it's kind of the gist of what you what you said. said a little bit, like so,
0: yeah. So my my focus <laughs> is more between the, the mm-hmm. people that, that work here. Uh, and being able to communicate amongst ourselves yeah. in, a, in, a, in as effective of a way as possible. And I think the context of um, Humane Society and Shelter Protocol is probably one that would, would maybe a, a easier way of describing it because um, the, the less separated that is from purpose, the better. So take... Um, like,
1: um, Let me put my humane society hat put on. Put your real humane quick. society. Okay. Hat, yes, <laughs> okay. uh,
0: if you were, if you were to take, like, uh, I don't know if it still exists. I haven't been CSS for a while, but like uh, prepaid rabies protocol. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm pretty sure it's still a thing. It is. Like, how does that matter within serve the patient? So. Th- it's hard, right? Let's let's
1: do the post-adoption rabies because sure. prepaid rabies, we don't see that often. Sure. So post-adoption rabies, I'll break this down as quick as I can. Yep. Post-adoption rabies, cat, dog that's at HSMC that is younger than 12 weeks of age, that is adopted, um, either spayed or neutered already, but cannot receive that rabies vaccine. Mm-hmm. They need one, but they're still too far away. We've actually created this protocol that allows the caregivers to take their cat, dog, whatever it is, home um, with that. And then they come once when they hit whatever age it is, that 12-week mark, mm-hmm. they basically bring in a document now that says, hey, I was adopted from here. This is my date of birth. I need my rabies vaccine. Mm-hmm. So it's basically breaks it down so where we can have the patient go to that home that they need to be in, they get the care that they need, mm-hmm. um, and then they come back and they get that rabies vaccine. Mm-hmm which then allows them to as as Katie and I call it you're now legal <laughs> um. <laughs> it's a joke we make at the Humane Society for vaccinating dogs or cats. Um, easy, it's just the easiest way to explain Humane Society post-option rabies protocol. It's all written down in a book. It's about a page and a half it long. It is. It's a long one. It's yeah. a long one, but it allows us to be able to get the patient out of the Humane Society, get them home, right. but still give them the care that they need and at least still see, come into a vet clinic.
0: Right. And, and that's and that's the, that's really what you're getting at yep. is is that That process, even though it is within the adoptive process, like ideally they are adopted out vaccinated and legal and whatever. But sometimes for the sake of the patient and their quality of life, you Mm got to make exceptions and you got to figure out protocols around that. Right. Yep.
1: And even with with that being said, it's even space inside of the Humane Society. Come summertime, you get. Puppies and kittens galore, and they just don't have the space. So being able to take that cat or dog and, as you said, move them to their house, get mm-hmm. them going on their lives, yep. um, getting their quality of life better, and then that also makes room for them to get other patients and so they can care for those patients and right. they can get them healthy and then find them homes.
0: So, so now, the next time that you explain <laughs> the post-adoption <laughs> rabies process to go. somebody— it's not just because we have to administer as many rabies vaccines as possible. Mm-hmm. It's not about numbers. It's not about uh, convenience for the humane society. It's it's about making sure that that system of the humane society is able to function as well as possible, and we're also able to get patients into homes where they can have an increased quality of life. we're yes. keeping that cycle rolling. All because of why serves the patients. Serve it's the better patient. for the patients. Like we fit process to serve the patient and not just around convenience or us wanting our jobs to be easier. That, that process makes our jobs harder. And that's why it's, I think sometimes in terms of consistency and implementation, it's harder for people to like commit their head to doing it the same way every time or breaking out the book and be like, you know what, I have to do this right down to the t otherwise like something's gonna go wrong and it's just gonna be a huge headache for somebody down the road (laughs) like molly (laughs) it's conveniently me (laughs) right right (laughs) um so so the more that that's that's that process of abstraction from getting Mm -hmm. to process to serve the patient and and i think if you're able to not necessarily you know just exclusively communicate it but start to think a little bit further what that's taking you from is um, I think you are and I I shouldn't have exited out of the window but I'm pretty sure you lean a little bit more on practical thinking than systems judgment not that you have a blind spot on either one but it's just a little bit heavier in black and white the more that you can kind of flex the muscle of that systems judgment, especially in communication, um, I think the easier it is uh, for for people to see where it is that you're coming from because you're coming from a place of a motivational perspective of not necessarily sharing a high economic motivator with anybody else that's here besides like a few of us. There's actually a very limited, most of us are altruistic and when you have somebody that's highly economically motivated, you're going to sound different than to some for someone that's economically motivated versus somebody that is altruistically motivated, mm-hmm. but the closer that you can draw the line uh, between process and purpose, the easier it is. Yep, and you also work your ass off, so that helps a lot. Too. Yep,
1: Humane Society was the <laughs> easiest way how to possibly break yeah. break that down. Yeah, and,
0: and like as, as much as you know, it, it, you know, I, we were gonna we started talking about like what your job is as a technician and the, and the technical aspects of that and what you know where you like to focus your time. Um, a part of it too is you know, that, that is, you know, I, I love having kind of lessons or, or <laughs> th- things to work on, that sort of stuff. And, and I I mean, you know, maybe I'm crazy, but I think that's a pretty good one, if, especially for yourself because of the fact that you are, um, you know, we talked about it last time, significantly different from most everybody else that works here. Um, the more that you can bring value into that conversation, the easier it is, or I should say the, the more effective it is. It's not always about ease because you're not, always an easy person to work with (laughs) that's a bit
1: rude i don't know what you're talking about i'm a dream
0: (laughs) uh you know exactly what i'm talking about (laughs) um but it makes it more effective to work with you when you guys when there's that shared purpose right Mm -hmm. that's what we're all getting at so um i'm gonna shut up for a second and i'm gonna let you go because my (laughs) voice is starting to hurt (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what else do you want to talk about molly we got we got 20 minutes we
1: got 20 minutes something on. like that yeah, yeah give her i, I a mean
0: I, you know we, we can we can pause there if you want um <laughs> but but yeah i mean does that kind of make sense what what are your what are your thoughts on all this?
1: it it all makes sense it's very hard to actually verbalize why we serve the patient. Now that I'm like sitting down, like I yeah. know why I serve the patient. It's I enjoy making sure the patients, whether it's surgery or they come in for vomiting, diarrhea, they i want it. Like, it's so easy in my brain to be like, you need the care that you need. So you're healthy mm-hmm. and that your caregivers understand what's going on with your body and they know how to care for you. And they're educated about this disease that you have in my brain. It's so easy yeah. to like break it down, but try yeah. and actually communicate that out. Never really had to do it to an outside party because yeah. everyone that's here is here to serve the patient, Um, whether they start day one or they're at,
0: right five years deep, yeah, or
1: tr- however long Trevor has been <laughs> here. He came with the he came with, with paw, <laughs> <laughs> he was a part of the acquisition, <laughs> yes, he came with the company. Um, but it's we're all here for the same reason and to make sure those patients get the care. I bet maybe besides asking Riolo, um or Katie trying or Annie trying to get someone to voice that, You're going to get a different answer from everyone and it's going to be like Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to actually voice this, but I know why I'm here.
0: Yeah. And that so with going off of the stuff that Carlo did yesterday, yep. and that's that's really where I want to push the podcast is um what we're what that does is it makes collaboration easier. Yep. That's all we're trying to do. Like I think that we have detailed out and we understand accountability so damn well that it's not that we can't we don't have to talk about it anymore uh, creating in the moment accountability and pushing our team in that direction is something that is going to be an endless fight like yep. we always have to know that However, there are so many people that work here, that listen to the podcast, that understand the concept of accountability and how to do it well and why it matters. And, and the fact that, you know, one of the things that I have on a list of, of podcasts to do, which maybe it'll be your and my next one, is how we've, like, culturally, we've redefined poorly accountability as resentment and that's absolutely not what it is um accountability is a process to get to solutions to get to implementation yep. not just holding people uh holding stuff over people's heads um and we do that really really well but now it's about okay well how do we how do we now collaborate that's the the whole purpose of the core value shift it's it's we really have to focus on how we do that well so um if if you know if folks that are even that work here that listen to this right like how do we? How do? How does Molly collaborate better? Well, you start to draw the line closer to shared purpose. For yep. some people, it might be a little bit different. For Carlo, it might be a little be, be a little bit more concise. I don't really know.
1: <laughs> trying, I don't try. to step into that role <laughs> very much. Like I can have conversations with him, and we um, we can talk about anything that's going yeah. on in the clinic. And yeah. if there's a problem, we can work it out. We can think of different ideas. We can spitball. We can have that collaboration. And I, there are times though, I try to draw. I try to draw the line because. I'm amazed by what can come like what his brain can do yeah. and what he's built within the company. And like you said, accountability mm-hmm. at one point, like, and even now still, sometimes there is that resentment. Like you try to have an accountable mm-hmm. moment with somebody and it comes across as you're just attacking me, Yeah, which isn't, which isn't what's going on. It's right. trying to be like, no, like, unfortunately, like this was messed up, but let's yeah. talk about it. So it doesn't happen again. And we can all learn from it being held accountable um, I honestly used to hate it. Yeah. I hated it. Um and I Katie knows this. When she would come into the clinic, I would make sure I had all my stuff, uh, my overnights, try to have all my ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. I was like, Katie's coming in, I wanna have I wanna have my shit correct. Yep. And I think I did so well and then I would be driving home and Katie would call me and it's like, Hey, you mess this up and I used to hate it because it's like, Oh my god, Katie hates me. She just keeps yelling at me and at the time it was like it, it's not yelling anymore, but it's like, now that I look back on it, it's like, no, mm-hmm. she wasn't doing it because I was doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. She was doing it because I was doing something wrong, but she also wanted to make me this, a better CBT and understand the process and having that accountability. At times, yeah, I resented it for, to her, but now it's like, she says something to me and it's like, yep, you're yep. right. I'm, I apologize. I effed that one up. Right. I won't, it won't happen again.
0: Right. And that, and that's the, that's that collaborative that's mm-hmm. that, that's the reason for the focus on collaboration is because we're we're all going to communicate in different ways. And we have to we have to both understand and appreciate the way in which we communicate, but also the way that things are being received and be conscious of that. And sometimes you have to you have to ebb and flow some ways or, or others. Yep. And, and for yourself, you know, there are days that the high D comes down a little bit. I mean,
1: Tiffany, Tiffany definitely caught the blunt of a high D personality yeah. day and it, it came down to like. That D personality just came out really, really strong at her. There was a swear mm-hmm. word in it. And then once when everything kind of came back around, it was, I apologize for that. Right. Like it right. was like, at the time it was needed to be said. And the way it came out was, <laughs> <laughs> it, was <rough. laughs> it, it was, it was rough. I saw the look on her face and then yeah. it was come back around and follow up yeah. with her. And it was yeah. like, I apologize for how that came out like right. it was not meant to come out that way but it was rough right
0: and and, the, and, the, and you know that's a part of you know it, it's it's you know it uh, actually the dichotomy of leadership is a book that's over on that bookshelf um which there there's there's that's that is the the balance it's the balance between um uh, of of that that collaboration Mm -hmm. and accountability because we're all going to communicate in certain ways. Like I know that I irritate the snot out of some people (laughs) when I go on five minute rants. So we apologize to anyone watching. Exactly. (laughs) But sometimes, you know, sometimes that's the way that I have to do it because I just have to get it out. I Mm -hmm. just like, that's the only way that I can collaborate on or communicate this point and sometimes if i've especially if i know what i'm talking about but i just like sense in the room that i'm getting long winded you know it's a, it becomes about co- uh, being more concise and being able to adapt to that because Um, typically if I'm saying something, I'm saying something with a purpose within the group and, and that's ultimately why I want to, uh, engage that and, and be better at it. So, um, so yeah, I, I, as I'm now having, (laughs) I think I might have to have you take this one out because I could continue, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I gave you a to do that feels good. I feel like I have multiple to-do's out of this conversation. Yeah, yeah I love it. I mean, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, let me just add that to, to my
1: list of other things. Of but to-dos. it just
0: colors all of the things that you have to do. It does. It's just, I, 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 you know, I, that's my that's my favorite part about collaboration is it's it's a part of everything. It the, is. The better that we can do it, the more effectively we can serve a patient.
1: God, I could have hours long conversations of how we collaborate. And like, that's all, all we do in this clinic, whether it's talking with Katie, talking with Carlo, talking with Annie, or yep. we are t- collaborating about a case of, a, of Heather cases, as we as we call them. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
0: uh, that's totally going to be a, a podcast. Is like how one person has absorbed all of the extremely <laughs> unique cases in the last five years of Paw Health.
1: And we call them Heather cases. <laughs> and poor Heather never understands why these things come on. Rhiannon's actually caught some of them now, too. Nice, we're nice. like, ah, congratulations, you're seeing a Heather case. Yes. But it just breaks it down to even how like as a technician here, how you, we, yeah, we go to school. We have, we don't even have near the same schooling that the doctors do, right. but we go to school. But it also allows us to be able to collaborate with that doctor on shift. What's going on with this patient? Like, oh, we've done this and this. Well, have we done that? Yep. What about if we try this? Can we do mm-hmm. this? It allows us to collaborate on patient care to help figure out what's going on with that patient, especially when you have your Heather cases come in
0: and talk about uh, an item that shows the value of that topple hierarchy, right? Yes. Like that concept. I, I know that that is an idea that we take for granted so much mm-hmm. around here. Uh, so, for anyone that's listening, I know we talked about it long, long ago, yeah. in like the first like six episodes. But um, you know, there's no there's no hierarchy from doctor to technician to unlicensed to reception. It's everyone's on the same level. There yeah. have been times where I have questioned doctors about what's <laughs> happening, maybe not medically, but like process wise or, yep. or something yep. like that. And and never has that been met. Well, there was one time that I overstepped, and Trevor called me on my shit about triage. And I got put in my place a little bit, which it wasn't so much that was like, hey, you don't work back here. It's like, no, this is why this is happening. Mm-hmm. And um, it was an extremely positive communication But but he was really assertive about it. I think Rihanna did it to me once uh, as well, like super early on, which made me feel really good about her role because it was like (laughs) it was like within the first three months, and I was like, oh, you get it. You get get it, and you just told me why it mattered. You didn't just tell me to go away, and that's Mm -hmm. and that's been every communication that I've had uh, with collaborating with our staff, and um, and the, the better you know, at this point, it's just about improving on that. Now that we all know we're on the same level. Now, how do we start to maximize that? That's to me yeah. the, kind of the goal. I so.
1: mean, that's what's that's what's nice, like being able to come into into work, and I, it's funny. I've had, I'm part of mo- multiple Facebook groups yeah. of vet of vet techs, and just watching the stuff that they post and being like, oh my god, you actually like there is that hierarchy, yeah. where it's like the doctor, and they just throw their weight around like I'm the doctor, like yep you're we know you're the doctor you have your it's your license but at the same time it's like i have a license too mm-hmm. which i know very well can get taken away mm-hmm. i've learned that yeah. twice now but yeah. well, it didn't get taken away it you, just, you taken just had
0: to away. express the process it, it, yes
1: it did not get <laughs> taken away i did have to go to the state for review but um like watching some of the stuff they post it's like Oh, like you've talked about before, the Unicorn Clinic. And it's like, my doctor cleaned the surgery suite today. And it's like, one time?
0: Right. Once?
1: (laughs) Once I've watched watched my doctor. Today they did. (laughs) Today they did. Like, they've done it twice or whatever. But like, watching some of the stuff they post, there is that hierarchy. And to know that that's something we actually don't have to deal with is fantastic. Absolutely.
0: Um, I think that that's a good pause point. Because um, I think uh, you know we, we we left ourselves off with a potential topic of I want to know about the board complaints that you had to go through <laughs> and what that was like for you. Um, we which can thank- talk, We can talk about those. Thankfully, resulted in, in nothing uh, nothing negative to my knowledge. But we'll yep. we'll talk about that uh, and uh, maybe we'll talk about some Heather cases and and uh, uh, the the Bernie that one time that year ago that was the most unique. Oh case my letter. God! Maybe we'll have to share a case. We are that. Story. Yep,
1: there is that one case. And we also <laughs> left. Our off we can talk about accountability because yeah. i have been through a couple after actions yep. in a different multiple actually quite a few accountable yeah absolutely situations so um
0: so yeah i uh, i think uh, i gotta get set up for the next thing so uh all right well thanks for tuning in you guys i hope you enjoyed and we will see you next week